0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au Morning. I always get nervous when uh someone says uh looking forward to the word and hope simon brings a word of encouragement um because i think sometimes the definition we have a different definition of encouragement sometimes i think sometimes we hear the word encourage and we feel like we want to be wrapped up and we want to be hugged and we want to be cheered on and we want to be patted on the back and you know i hope you get some of that today um <laughs> But as I think about encouragement, I think we've got a bit protective about it. And actually, I want to give you courage today. That's, yeah, that's I'm explaining that. Yeah, so um, I just I want to I want you to feel um, and encounter a God of love and of hope and of purpose that, in a way, that gives you the courage to move out as a victor. Um, Because I think sometimes we encourage one another in terms of they're there. You're doing good <laughs> and we remain victims. Uh but to sometimes we all the time I think we need that sense of come on now, let's go as victors. So that's where that's that's where I hope we go today. So you ready for that now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've got your Bibles open. Um because Gideon's been here, so let's impress them. no not at all because it's a good thing to do and we need to read our word to be in tune with the heart of the father and to know the heart of the father it's funny that uh, Gary um, showed us a photo of his grandson uh, Eli because my message starts off by reflecting on the nature of parenting uh, our youngest daughter Ruby has uh, finished Year Twelve. Oh, praise God for small mercies. Um, I tell you what, you know, any parent who's seen and experienced a child going through Year Twelve—it's not just a child going through Year Twelve. Um, you know, I've done it four times, and if you're going through it any more than that as a parent, may God be with you. And may the force be with you. Uh, and, and I often get asked, we get asked, does it get easier as a parent? Carly? I'd love to say yes. Um, and to any other parent, does it get easier as a parent? And I'm sure maybe other parents here could agree or disagree with me. Um, it, I don't know if it gets easier, it just constantly changes. It's just constantly different. Um, I know my mum doesn't mind reminding me every now and then, Simon, I'm still your mother. Um, LAUGHTER just in case I forget at forty-seven. Um, so you know, it just—it's constantly, uh, constantly changes being a parent. I think it's—it's it's one of the most rewarding, one of the most fulfilling roles that you could ever have, uh, is to be a parent. There is no doubt about that. But I've also been reflecting upon that, watching my children grow up, particularly going through year twelve, and, I, and I've said this to all of my, all of our girls at different times, like. I didn't do Year 11 and 12, so I don't really know what it's like. So I'm kind of making it up with them (laughs) in how to best respond. Uh, But as I've thought about raising children and being a parent to children, I've also thought on the flip side and thought about how I responded when I was 16 and how I 16, 18, 20 year old. See, I'd moved out of home at 16. So the response and the engagement that I had with my parents was very different and the conversations that I had with my parents is very different than the engagement and the connection that uh, I hope our girls have had with us. But I've also thought about the terms of the voices that um, that speak into the lives of our children, that speak into the lives of our younger generation. See, when I left home at 16 uh, in 1988... Uh, that's scary isn't it Um, and I I left home at at 16 and uh, in 1988 and the voices that were spoke into my life were fairly minimal Uh, in the mid 80s I had probably church uh, the challenge of workmates. so I'd grown up in a protective uh, and very safe household with very single-focused mindset around church and following Jesus and Christianity and uh, all the changes that were going through that. And then as a 16-year-old, I moved out of home and became a motor mechanic. Whew! Um, I can tell you about that story if you don't know what motor mechanics might have been like in the 80s. Um, but since May was born, so May's 24, um, you're getting old when you have to start thinking about your children's age. Um, but since May was born, there's been internet, mobile, social media, uh, streaming services, subscription payments, uh, and it's just constantly moving. And that's just in the last 20, 24 years. I, I didn't have any of that. And some of you are going, we had less than what you had, Simon. <laughs> a typewriter, yeah. I had a computer that I borrowed in my first year of theological college. Um, so this, our children now have so many incredibly different voices kind of speaking into their hearts and their minds and their spirits and their bodies these days. Uh, and I'm not saying that as a criticism... Because it just is, and we have to find ways as a society and a community, as parents, to be able to respond to that. Because we can't say, oh, you can't have it, because it's going to be there. (laughs) So we have to find healthy ways to engage with that. But I've also taken that a bit further and thought, gee, it's not much different than the amount of voices that we have in the church, actually. If you think about it, because we can talk about the relationship that I had and the amount of voices that I had when I was a child... And, and the few voices that I had, and then the many voices that our children might have, and then you put that in terms of the perspective of the church, and it's not much different than raising children or living in society, because you think about the voices that we might have in the church. We have, we have popular culture in church. We have our generational culture in church. That becomes a voice. Uh, we have what we've seen other people doing, and so that forms our opinion and that becomes a voice. Um, we have what we did in the past that's the generational kind of culture generational thinking Uh, and then we have the younger generational thinking and so the church can be like this family dynamic ironically enough where we've got to have this sense of always there's competing voices and in the midst of that we've got to somehow discern and work out which is the voice that we need to pay attention to you follow me so far? you with me? Um, and again, none of that is criticism or any kind of social reflection. There just is. We come with our own sense of voice. We come with our own sense of experiences. Um, and it's important to ask, I think, is which voice will shape or create our story? Which voice will have the final say in shaping our story? Now if you're new to the Horsham Church of Christ or you're new to faith or new to following Jesus or exploring who Jesus is, we hope that today that you do experience some encouragement as well with the rest of us. And as has been introduced already, the next few weeks we're exploring this idea of the biggest story. Not as two words, but as one word. Because we want us to understand that there are no gaps in God's story. We want us to be very clearly exploring and understanding that God leaves no spaces in unfolding his story. We might feel like he does at times, but God is very much connected, very much engaged, very much revealing himself. He doesn't check in and out according to when it suits him. He is faithful and he constantly reveals a story that points to the promise and the hope of Jesus where every story... Even your story sitting here today, regardless of what might be happening in your world at the moment, every story, every story in Scripture, every story sitting here today, every story that's not here, every story that's ignoring God, every story that might be thinking about God, every story whispers His name. So, today I want to give you another flyover. Um, of some of the events and some of the unfolding nature of these stories before landing on an invitation that could transform your life. So to fly over, we're going to go back near the start. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. uh, Some years after the creation of the world and uh, some years after the great flood as well. It's a a time of tribes. It's a time of um, mountain tribes and wilderness tribes. It's a time where there are many gods a time where you had a God for fertility, you had a God for harvest, you had a God for rain, you had a God for sun. You had many, many gods that were spread throughout um, and depending on what you needed and how you needed it, you'd pray to that God and there'd be a, a God that for, if your tribe won victory over another tribe, that would be evidence that your God is bigger and better than anybody else's God. So many tribes, many gods and then in the midst of this, There's this voice that reaches into humanity, constantly reaching into humanity. But in this instance, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, I I love these verses. The Lord had said to Abram, Abram who becomes Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Now understand this, here's here's an invitation to Abram. So God is asking something of Abram. But watch the shift here and listen for the shift here. Go um, to the land, I will show you. Not yet revealed, but I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and... I will bless you, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So here's, a, here's something that God invites Abram and his household to participate in. But all he is asking him to do is to go, to move, to shift. I mean this is an astonishing call. If you think about tribes and connected into a tribe, that's about your security, it's about your heritage, it's about the generations, three, four generations down, all living together. It's about story, it's about trade. All of those things wrapped up in your tribe. And in the midst of that, God calls to this 75-year-old bloke and he says, Abram, pack up your family and go. Go. And that's all he asked him to do, apart from the promise that God will do something else as he goes. Do you understand the distinction? hope you're picking up the distinction there. Abraham set out in the obedience in the promise of what God will do without knowing the fullness of what God will do. See, what's happening here is God is seeking to distinguish himself and his people from every other God, every other tribe, and every other nation. And I smile every time I read this story because I think this is a story of incredible faith, incredible sacrifice, incredible courage from Abram and his family. So it's not just about Abram, is it? It's about his family. And any time we make a decision to go where God says, it's always going to affect someone else. (laughs) But the bigger question is, am I going to trust in God Or will I trust the voices of my past and my heritage? Now I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to our, certainly go and talk to your family if you feel like God's speaking to you because I don't think God asks us to do this in isolation. And I think that's often one of the sadness um, that I have about the church and communities. We can have people saying, I think God is asking me to do this and they're just gone without any sense of community. I I don't think that's the call of God. we are invited to trust God um, so that he might reveal what he will do and what he will do in his time. So if you're not hearing from God, or you're maybe it's, could it be, if you're not hearing from God, could it be that because you're not willing to leave what you know before he reveals what he has for you? And I talk about this in terms of mindsets, attitudes, behaviours, as much as the physical movement. See, most of us know that something could be different. Most of us have felt at one time or another, if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, you've felt this sense, this is what I need to do, but. This is what I think God might be calling in me to, into, but. And we're not always... Hearing from God, or we stop here, we feel like we stop hearing from God because we're not always willing to leave what we know so that we might trust in what God wants to reveal. And that's a real challenge for the local church as much as it is for families and individuals about how we serve God. See, we, we can be so hung up on having it all worked out out there that we don't move from here. So God establishes a nation, there's some pushback if you know the story at all um, I'm flying over so we're not going in depth into it but there's some pushback Um, Israel uh, is caught up in slavery in Egypt for some 400 years before they experience freedom, they come into freedom again some pushback about their freedom we'd be best to die back there wish we'd die back there, at least we knew what we got back there, what we knew rather than going to what we don't yet know Um, you know back there is always really hard to leave often uh, and in the midst of this kind of young nation coming into freedom laws are created to guide them out of slavery they're a new way of life because when you're a slave you're just told what to do you're told when to wake up you're told when to go to bed you're told when to work you're probably told when you can go to the toilet so no wonder there needed to be new laws And see, we read these laws through a lens that says, oh, God is telling us what to do. No, 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 no. God wants to give you a way of life, a way to think about the world, a way to engage with him and with one another in a way that is life-giving. Over this time, God establishes a temple. He appoints judges and priests, otherwise known as shepherds of the nation. And yet the nation still looks around with dissatisfaction over the course of several hundred years. And we get to this point in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Verses 1 to 5. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepting bribes and perverting justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king. How, How inspiring is that? You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Remember, this, this Samuel was a guy who was left at the temple or given at the temple as a young child by his mother <laughs> who had been weeping for a child and then surrenders the child to the work and the ministry of God. Uh, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, verse six, but when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he praised the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you, they it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights he's going to charge you taxes he's going to call you to war he's going to take your children for war he's going to take your children as wives this whole list of things that a king will do and they still say yep that's what we want we want to be like every other nation now as we read through the old testament scriptures the the hebrew scriptures the amount of times that people will say, I don't understand what's happening in the Old Testament Scriptures because God just seems so volatile and so angry. And I, I would say, yeah, it's easy to read like that if you're not reading through the lens of what God is wanting to do for His people, to distinguish Himself and His people from the rest of the nations. But how secure is this? Is this a volatile and angry God that is secure enough in himself to be able to say they have not rejected you but me as their king? That's a secure kind of being. I understand what's going on here, God says. People aren't rejecting you, Samuel, it's okay. They're rejecting me and it's okay. Now God's not wrapped in it, I imagine, (laughs) But I read that and I thought, oh, God's actually secure enough to release people. Do you get that? God's actually secure enough with himself and who he is and what he's about that if you don't want to be a part of it, that's fine. You can spend your life whinging that God hasn't done what you wanted him to do. <laughs> but it probably means you've missed the point. And maybe even rejected him as king. So anyway... Kings are established as authority, they're established as protectors, they lead people into war, they build cities, they receive taxes, they do all sorts of things. You can read the story. Kings come and go. Very few good kings, very few great kings, maybe one great king, two at the most, until this nation finally self-destructs and becomes divided. And in the midst of this, we read of the prophets. The prophets who remind people of God's desire for relationship and in the midst of this there's this one prophet called Jeremiah who's known as the weeping prophet and if you read through Jeremiah it's pretty hard reading it's a pretty tough battle for Jeremiah Jeremiah and Ezekiel are probably peers of each other Uh, they probably know each other as well as a number of other prophets around but Jeremiah these are people who often stand alone and Jeremiah is harassed, he's put in prison, he's put under house arrest. The things that he's presents uh, is ripped up and torn and thrown into the fire. He's beaten up for the things he's saying against the king. All sorts of things happen to Jeremiah. No wonder he's called the weeping prophet. But he says throughout, God, there is a fire within me. As you, it's a bit like Edwin today. There's a fire within me and if I stop seeking speaking, it will consume me. And so I must continue to declare your goodness and your faithfulness. But Jeremiah stands against the kings, the priests, and their sense of self-importance, their greed. And the fact that these kings, who are meant to be the shepherds of Israel, shepherds of God's people, have lost track of their task. They fed on the suffering of others rather than feeding and guiding and protecting the nation. All this leads to Jeremiah declaring in chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. And if you want more information, I encourage you to go and read Ezekiel 34 to understand more of the nature of the shepherds and the call of the shepherds. But in verses, I just wanted to give you a snapshot. 23, uh, Jeremiah 23, verses, first couple of verses. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel says to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. See, when we don't know who we are listening to or when we pay attention to too many voices, Or when we go grabbing a hold of every newest and fanciest and best idea, the best idea that makes me feel good about myself, we quickly become divided. We become divided as individuals, we become divided as families, we become divided as communities, we become divided as churches. This is essentially about the voice that they listen to and the greed and the sense of self-importance and how they didn't pursue the welfare of their people more than their own welfare. And yet despite this judgment, there is hope and the promise of restoration and healing. Jeremiah goes on, speaking for God, I myself... Oop, gone too far away. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture. So because they'd paid attention to all the other gods, all the other ways they'd been scattered, sent into exile, removed from Jerusalem, and God is saying, I will bring them back to myself where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Well, that's an astonishing promise, isn't it? Nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. It's incredible that even as your story goes pear-shaped, even as you might be sitting here today wondering what you've got to go home to, where you've got to go back to work, what decisions you might have to make, even in the midst of making decisions that you know have ignored God, Maybe in your life you thought you're thinking about things that have happened in the past and or even right now and you know that you need to change an attitude a mindset a behavior but you've got to let go of something or you've got to admit something was wrong even in the midst of that every story whispers his name It's astonishing It's incredibly beautiful You think about that kind of reflection in your life. Think about the moments where you've ignored God, where I've ignored God, where I've rejected God, where I haven't been courageous enough to go because of the fear of what's here, Uh, the things that I've said, the things that I've done, the things that I've... um, have caused God grief, the things that have caused other people grief, and yet in the midst of that, there is still the promise of hope and restoration where every story continues to whisper His name. The stories where we feel disconnected from one another, feel disconnected from our, our, our lives and our relationship with God, and the struggle to return to our relationship with God, and every story continues to whisper His name. Your story whispers his name, calling you into something new to be a blessing to the nations. So we go ahead a few hundred years uh, and there is a time where people feel like they're not hearing from God. There's some 400 year gap between what we have as the Old Testament and the New Testament. um, And it must have felt like God had forgotten people. God forgotten what he was about or he'd put a space in. Maybe they felt like he had checked out and yet there was something else taking shape here. And I, I know I'm jumping ahead a fair bit. Like I said, it's a big flyover. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. I am the good shepherd. Remember the promise in Jeremiah. I will bring people back to myself, says God. This is the fulfillment of this promise when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus comes not as royalty in a palace but as a babe in a manger. Jesus comes as one who grew in wisdom and stature as he listened and went about his father's business. He reveals the character and the heart and the depth of God's love for his people, for his creation and his desire to be in relationship. Jesus is a shepherd who pours out his life rather than drains life out of his people. And he pours out his life not just to bless a few, not just to make us feel good, but to bless all of life and to be a blessing. Jesus is a shepherd who guides and comforts and protects who provides, who calls and redeems, and he is a shepherd who invites people into a personal and transforming relationship with him. And as I was sitting again this morning just reading this, these few verses, I, I felt so strongly this the decision that we make about the voice that we listen to is a decision, friends, of life and death. It is a decision of life and death. So we can, we can ignore the shepherd. We can ignore the voice of the shepherd. We can even reject the shepherd and he's okay with that. He's saddened by it and he'll keep pursuing you because your story continues to whisper his name. When we reject the heart of the Father and the voice of the shepherd, we, we're saying we're all right on our own and we end up being scattered. We end up going about doing our own thing. And we can even justify it we can use Christian religious language around justifying it. And you know, the idea of sheep, it's always plural. It's always about together. It's always about community and Jesus drawing people back together. Not spreading them in isolation. You know who spreads them in isolation and scatters them? The wolf. Now the wolf for you might be your money. It might be I don't know, a sense of greed, it might be a sense of pride, it might be unforgiveness, it might be just a sense of um, disappointment. Could be the hurt that you feel. That might be the wolf because that's the loudest voice. It could be abuse that you've felt or the abuse that you've done. Could be the mistakes of the past. This is a This is a matter of life and death. Remember, this isn't actually, I guess, (laughs) I think if we've been following Jesus for any length of time, we need to be careful not to become such fat sheep that we aren't able to move out of the paddock to invite others into the blessing. And to that, in First Peter, we need to remember the call that Jesus gives to us. To this, you were called, because Christ suffered for you. What other evidence? I'm just leave the text there for a sec. What other evidence do you need that you loved? And I, I know this will be a revelation, but I actually know that I'm imperfect. I actually know, and more, the older I get, the more I realise, the less I have together. Except for Jesus. Except who I am in Christ. Except, except who he is calling me to be. And the older I get, the more I realise, the more he is calling me to be, the more I need to leave behind. And that takes some courage. It takes some Humility. And I say that for myself because, you know, your story might be different. You might have it all together. First um, Peter chapter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins, leave behind what we have known and live for righteousness, move towards what he has done and what he will do. Oh, but the Old Testament, the story of Abraham, that's nowhere near connected to God and Jesus. It's very much connected and it's very much a fulfillment of what Abram did. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. This is a decision of life and death, friends. Life and death. Jesus is the sending shepherd and we are follow, to follow his example. Sights of the blind, care for the poor, set captives free, heal the brokenhearted, restore the oppressed, declaring love, hope, redemption and restoration, repentance and forgiveness. And just in case you didn't catch it the first time, I feel like I need to say it again. We need to be careful if we've been following Jesus for any length of time that we don't become such fat sheep that we are unable to move out of the paddock to be a blessing to others. God actually knew the change principle long before it was a change principle. People resist change because we focus on what we have to give up instead of what we have to gain. So the biggest story actually invites us to move out of what we have known or the voices that have held us back, or the voices that have held us in fear, the biggest story actually invites us to move beyond our own sense of uh, right and importance and heritage. The biggest story actually invites us to go to a land that God will show us. To a land that is not yet revealed. To say Jesus is shepherd, my king, expresses a willingness to submit or surrender to his direction and to his leading. A willingness to leave what we know or what we think we know, what we believe is right, to discover what God will do. And this is the team come up to lead us in our last song. It's hard to trust the shepherd and actually we're probably not willing really if we we're honest with ourselves to trust the shepherd if we don't declare him as Lord. The one who rules over our lives, the one who has authority over our lives. So this is an issue of authority. And it's difficult to, and it's probably impossible to know the comfort of the shepherd if we're not willing to declare him as our saviour. Which is the loudest voice? in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your mind? which is a a voice in the decisions that you make. Are we moving towards Jesus or are we moving away from Jesus? Is Jesus the loudest voice where we put ourselves in a place where we hear from him on a regular basis, where we stop long enough to read his word and go to a land that he wants to show us? Or are we just being scattered and sent around chasing our tails because you know what i'm in charge of my life it's a matter of life and death friends this biggest story it's a matter of life and death so as our team just lead us in a song jesus at the center um thank you for that uh i just If you need to declare Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour, this might be the moment. You just might need to be on your knees where you are. You might need to move out of your seat because maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've done it on your knees. Maybe you've declared it, but you just need to be held accountable to someone. You need someone to cheer you on in that. We want to invite you as this song is sung just to come forward. Or maybe go to someone that you trust after the service. Go to a quiet place. There's plenty of rooms around, plenty of seats. Just go to a quiet place in the back of this room and say, you know what? I haven't put Jesus at the centre. Jesus isn't my shepherd. I'm not hearing his voice. I have been unfaithful. Confess it. And may we be people who can receive the testimony that we received through Edwin and through Karen today that live as victors, victors, not victims. People who hear the voice of Jesus above everything else. May Jesus be at the centre.